This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Hales. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. Here at the Finding Holy Podcast, it is our aim to help you connect the dots between big things that matter and your everyday holy life. You'll also get to hear my guests' laundry routines because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Here's a little bit more about my guest today. Julia Lambert Fogg is a professor at Cal Lutheran University as well as an author and speaker. In her new book, Finding Jesus at the Border, Fogg argues that Christians must step out of their comfort zones and learn how to cross social, ethnic, and religious borders, just as Jesus did, to become the body of Christ in the world. Enjoy this heartfelt, lovely conversation with Julia Lambert Fogg. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast, Julia Lambert Fogg. She is the author of the recently released book, Finding Jesus at the Border, Opening Our Hearts to the Stories of Our Immigrant Neighbors. So thanks for being with us here, Julia. Sure. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. So Julia is a, a professor up the road from me um, at Cal Lutheran. Um and yeah, she's really delved into this issue of immigration from her own life, um, looking at it theologically. I'd love to hear from you. What was like the first moment where you're like, this is actually something I need to consider as well as, you know, you aren't like a first generation Latina professor or something, right? You know, um, so yeah. How did you realize this, this was my issue as well? That's a great question. Um, I think it really was the church that I was serving at the time. I mean, I'm a full-time professor, but um, part-time I'm engaged here and there with church congregations. And um, chapter two is really the story of how I was invited into um, local immigrant conversations with people who are struggling with documentation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the story of... Um, Santiago, who is a young man and undocumented, um, and his opening up to me and to his church and sort of sharing his journey um, really helped me understand that um, this was something that I could help with. Mm. Um, And hearing it, hearing the invitation from him, um, I said, well, there, there are Latinx pastors that can mm-hmm. help you in Southern California. He's like, yeah. but many of them are first generation from a Latin American country, and they are they don't study liberation theology in the American context. Mm-hmm. And um, you're white, so you don't get some things, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, yeah. but these other folks don't get what it's like to grow up as you know, a young male American in an urban setting in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. So what, walk us through a little bit what that looked like. You know, how did you, you were um, kind of pulpit supply, right? At various Mm -hmm. churches and then began to develop relationships with 
immigrants, both documented and undocumented. And how did that change your own ministry and your own teaching? Just that proximity to to people who are in a very different experience, right? Than your own. Yeah. I grew up in a little seed church uh, mm-hmm. that was actually, um, uh, I, gr- I, I like to say I grew up going to Sunday school in a farm stable. Um, (laughs) so our church was a little seed church out of the Philadelphia Presbytery. And, um, we used the farmhouse for our worship. We used the, what used to be the barn, um, for Sunday school classes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but none of those folks shared or, um, really had immigration stories at the forefront of their identities. Mm -hmm. Um, we were, we had other things at the forefront of our, yeah, yeah. So that was on the East Coast, moving back, moving out to California for the first time. I started at CLU in 2003. I got a call call from the Synod office. They said, hey, uh, we hear you're bilingual. We hear that you're a pastor. You know, um, could you come do a a bilingual service for us? Mm -hmm. We have a church in um, Pasadena that needs a Spanish language service and an English language service. We use this Lutheran liturgy. um, Presbyterians and Lutherans share right. pulpits. So yeah. could you come do that? And I said, well, sure, I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah. I've um, never really done the liturgy. I, uh, I've never done a Lutheran liturgy. Right. I've not done it in Spanish. Yeah. I've only preached once in Spanish, like yeah. all these things. I'm right. like, oh yeah. man, a lot of new stuff that would be yeah. exciting. Um, and they said, great. Uh, it's this Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um so I just did it. Um, you know, um, <laughs> when you're young and straight out of a doctoral program, <laughs> you take everything that comes your way. Yeah. Um, but that relationship lasted about five years. Mm. And I like to say that that church community changed how I read scripture. Mm. Um, I'm a biblical scholar. I'd been studying it for a long time. I grew up in the church. I loved Bible study. I'm such a nerd. I loved Bible study. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went to two Bible studies my whole growing up, an adult one, a youth one. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I like to think that preparation in that little seed church was mm. the best preparation for the work I do. Mm. That little seed church had a whole range of theological positions. Um, and you know, there were, there were some folks who, who very strongly believed in the reality of angels and demons. There were other folks who believed very strongly in, um, I don't know, other positions right. on the theological spectrum. Um, but what I learned was a deep love of scripture mm. that was not um, literalistic, but in other words, you didn't go to the Bible to say, what does it say? You went to the Bible to see what it taught you, mm-hmm. if that makes us, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. There wasn't any right or wrong answer. There was just conversation with scripture hmm. at the heart of who we were. Um, and so that's where I got my love of um, everything in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. The doctoral program did not hammer that out of me and managed <laughs> well, to hold on great. to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so preaching is a love because I get to explore scripture in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think because I wasn't taught to go to the scripture 
to find out what it says about stewardship or about Easter or about Mother's Day, right? Like some of those typical kinds of things right. one can get caught up in as a pastor. Um, I went trying to hear what scripture was saying to this particular congregation, mm-hmm. um, the English language service and the Spanish language service. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Eng- what I began to see as an outsider was the English language service was um, second, third, even fourth generation immigrants mm-hmm. who had come from different Lutheran cultural backgrounds. So Germany, Finland, um, et cetera. Yeah. And then the Spanish language service was full of Latin Americans who were second, third, fourth generation mm-hmm. from all different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, those two sets of communities had very similar um, understandings of what it meant to be American, understandings of what it meant to be here in the United States, mm-hmm. and understandings of the importance of work and family and mm-hmm. culture and maintaining where you came from and tradition and all of those things. Yeah. And they both wanted to center that self-understanding in the church, mm-hmm. in their own Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very different yeah. from me growing up um, where I did, where we didn't ever think about where we came from or who we were or how we were different or how we were the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I began yeah. to listen differently to scripture mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, for the one, the first century Mediterranean world is one of the most diverse places or one of the most diverse empires um, mm-hmm. that there mm-hmm. has been in mm-hmm. record. Mm-hmm. Um, the people talked about in the scriptures in the New Testament are all working class people. Yeah. And, they're, and they're people at the margins of yeah. the center of society. So there are a lot of parallels between those communities in the New Testament and those immigrant communities I was finally coming mm. into mm-hmm. conversation with. Mm-hmm. And um, they began to show me parallels that I had never dreamed about and mm-hmm. ways of understanding the first century communities of the new testament that i had not thought of Mm. before because Mm -hmm. i came from a different experience yeah i think that's really helpful to think about you know how do we how do we come to scripture do we come you know with i mean we obviously all have our own preconceived notions and our own personal experiences and backgrounds but to even think about you know how do i understand both my context on the one hand and scripture on the other as a dialogue um and speaking to one another yeah. I think is is a helpful way as we try to sort out, like, how do we actually talk across difference? You know, how do we deal with some of these issues like immigration that you say the word and people just get really wound up tightly? Um, but how do we create dialogue? How, how have you seen Jesus? You talk a lot about boundary crossing and border crossing and, and how we need to like move towards one another. How, how have you seen Jesus as kind of a boundary crosser? Maybe there's one story in scripture that you like to to talk about. Yeah, my favorite one is well, my favorite ones are always controversial, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. So my favorite one, it's the story in Mark, um, chapter seven of the Syrophoenician woman. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And good. 
Matthew tells the story that most Christians are most familiar with, right? Matthew tells the story of um, a woman coming to Jesus and begging him in public on the street. He's being followed by his disciples. They're walking through a town um, outside of the Jewish territory. And she comes to Jesus and yells after him. So it's very public. It's very open. It's um, an outdoor space. And she's she's trying to use that public platform to get yep. a conversation with yep. him um she asks him to heal her daughter he says no they go back and forth and finally he says um because of your faith right um because you have been faithful on account of your faith right Mm-hmm. Your daughter has been healed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Matthew's insertion into Mark, that connecting her behavior and her ability to continue a conversation with Jesus when clearly the disciples are trying to get rid of her and Jesus himself is trying to dismiss mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm saving the key text for for the Mark passage. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, in that story, Matthew says her faithfulness to Jesus and her willingness to go beyond the being pushed away is what was salvific for her daughter in this case. Mm -hmm. Mark doesn't do that. Um, Sometimes when I'm teaching biblical studies, I I like to say Matthew cleans Mark up, (laughs) um, makes him more acceptable. Mark's a little, a little bit rogue. Yeah. Um, So in the Markin story, there are no disciples present. Jesus left them behind in Galilee. He goes, he crosses borders into um, Syria, Phoenicia. Um, He goes to the coast um, near the city of Tyre. So he's not in the city, but he's on his way there. So Mm -hmm. he is outside of Jewish territory. In fact, he's the stranger. He's the Mm -hmm. foreigner Mm -hmm. in this area. Um, So far, similar to Matthew. Um, Mm. But Jesus goes into a house. So no disciples, that's different from Matthew. He goes into a house, he's alone, um, and he's eating, probably. Mm -hmm. And a woman comes. Now, she has left her hometown, but she's Syrophoenician. So she seems to be ethnic to the geographical area. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's at home in one sense. And Mm -hmm. he's the foreigner, but she crosses the border of the private house that Jesus is in. Mm -hmm. So we have a dual border crossing. Mm -hmm. She's going into private space that is not hers. He's come into geographical territory that is not his. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they start to have this um, uh, (laughs) kind of dueling situation. She says, heal my daughter. He says, um, let the children be fed first. Um, it's not right to t- throw the children's food to the dogs. Mm-hmm. And many biblical scholars um, bend over backwards to try and fix Jesus's language. Um, Matthew preserves that word dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He just clarifies why Jesus uses it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to think, who are the people we call dogs today? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I've written another paper on this that I, I, I mean, obviously the president has used this language, um, mm-hmm. calling people at the border animals. Um, there are individual instances of ICE officers or border patrol officers uh, 
you know, generously, we could say maybe in the heat of a difficult situation, refer to people as dogs to their face. Um, but this is not acceptable language for a human being. Mm -hmm. And Jesus uses unacceptable language, um, unacceptable language. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to say, well, one, why yeah. does the son of God use this language? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is a Big, problem. Yeah. And then two, why does the Syrophoenician take it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really wanted to wrestle with that um, and not go the the way Matthew went to understand mm. the passage, which is to chalk it up to the, her faithfulness. Um, this episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And so what we can see from this story is that here's a woman who comes to Jesus and is willing to get on the floor like a dog for her child's health. Hmm. And I was writing this sort of at the end of the caravans coming up from Central America, where you would see um, children dying um, because they were being maintained in essentially dog cages and cement. Yeah. Um, this is a tactic we use to get people to go back across the border. We put them in uncomfortable positions so that they don't want to stay and go through the process of seeking asylum. Hmm that process of seeking asylum is a legal process. We've written it into our laws that people can come to the border and ask for asylum if they're experiencing mistreatment, um, abuse, um, other things that can't be rectified in their home country. Um, so uh, she pushes back. And it, when she pushes back in Mark, Jesus says to her, you may go, your daughter has been healed. And her language was, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Mm -hmm. So she allows herself to be in this position of humility and powerlessness um, in order to advocate for her daughter. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing as immigrants, mm -hmm. putting themselves in this vulnerable position, knowing that, they may suffer abuse, but it's better than letting their child not find the healing, the education, the mm -hmm. um, food, mm -hmm. um, the sustenance that they need to grow up and be 
um, a, the full human that God wants them to be. Hmm. Um, and so the border that Jesus crosses is not just the geographical border into Syrophoenician territory. It's not just the religious border, although he does cross that one. It's not just the gender border that in a private home, this man would speak to an unknown woman, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was also a border. But having crossed those three borders, he goes even further and he says, wow, I wanted to keep you outside of my mission and you have just argued your way into <laughs> my mm -hmm. mission. Mm -hmm. And so he expands the borders of his mission. Mm. And after this chapter in Mark, for the next, I think it's three chapters, Jesus goes to the Decapolis, the 10 cities that are Gentile cities mm -hmm. all around Northeast Galilee. And he feeds a crowd of Gentiles on a hill mm -hmm. and he heals Gentiles and he preaches and talks with Gentiles. And he hadn't done that before. So what I see in this story is, okay, if, if we've got our what would Jesus do bracelet on, <laughs> yeah. how are we personally expanding our mm -hmm. limits and borders to connect with our neighbors in need? That's a great question. In addition to that question, what does it mean to understand the divinity we worship as a divinity that is willing to be changed, it is willing to have the earthly mission changed because someone stepped up to make that argument? Mm -hmm. right? yeah. This is the same as Abraham saying... Right. What about those 20 people, God? What about those 10 people? And God mm -hmm. saying, okay, but for the 10. Yeah. Yeah. And we have that example again. Mm. But to even see that audacity as part of God's heart for his own mission and for, for ours is exciting. That's beautifully said. Yeah. I love that. The audacity of God's heart for others. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we think, you know, as we are in this political moment now, how do we actually begin to have dialogue with ourselves, with people in our churches, you know, yeah. across the aisles, probably not on Facebook. It doesn't seem like that that's, yeah. you know, the, the best way to communicate. But, you know, how do we begin like small baby steps? I love in the end of your book, you kind of talk about being a guest and how do we begin to become a little bit uncomfortable so that eventually we will at least open up doors for the spirit, right? To be able to expand what we think our mission is or what, you know, what our point, what our place is as Christians, um, just in a very polarized world mm -hmm. and country and national moment. How do we see our neighbors and how do we see people who don't look like us? How do we see immigrants without it becoming it feels like the gauntlet drops and it becomes a partisan issue from, you know, the starting line. We're not even able to have conversations, it feels like. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend to Christians yeah. listening about beginning those conversations, yeah. staying open-hearted, um, and being able to really plead for clarity and wisdom from God? Mm. Yeah, such an important question. Um, a couple thoughts. Um, I do in the book try and say we all have various 
comfort levels right. with um, who we are and where we are. And we are not called to be unsafe. So mm-hmm. when I talk about um, developing a practice yeah. of border crossing, and I don't mean um, you're going to go out on safari, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you have to first understand, well, kind of what are my borders and boundaries Mm -hmm. and what am I able to tolerate? And if I am never uncomfortable, um, I'm not growing. Yeah. I mean, I tell my students this all the time. They're like, Oh, Dr. Fogg, my head hurts. Right. We're studying Greek. We're we're trying to get them to read the new Testament in Greek. Oh, my head hurts. I'm like, good. (laughs) You're safe, right? Yes. I'm safe but my head hurts. Mm. Awesome. Now mm. you're learning. Mm. So we're not called to be unsafe, but we are called to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And we see that in the call to discipleship in the gospels too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, go without your extra pair of flip-flops, go without right, yeah. <laughs> a money bag, go without. Yeah. Um, that may not be the, the, many people are not able to do those things. Um, that's a little too much for them. So in the book, I try and offer, um, small steps, yeah. personal steps yeah. that, that don't put you in a situation where you have to confront someone or dialogue with someone who differs from you politically. Um, if that's uncomfortable, don't go there yet. Um, a lot of times when I speak in person, we can't do that anymore, but yeah. when I speak in person, I say, um, I hold out my hand and I say, shaking hands is crossing a little bit of a boundary. Now mm-hmm. that's not a safe thing to do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but checking in on your neighbor from mm-hmm. across the fence or, you know, um, waving to someone across the street that you might not have waved to. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this time when many of us are required to wear masks in public, um, you can't see people's facial expressions. Mm-hmm. So maybe the border you're going to cross or the boundary is to wave at someone who is um, different from you and see if they wave back. And if yeah. they don't, hey, nothing lost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so those are things. Um, if, if it's hard to interact with other people, there are wonderful blogs online that mm-hmm. you can read about other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent last summer reading, and they're amazing authors, um, Nigerian women writers. Mm. Oh my gosh, these novels are great. Mm-hmm. Um, Americana is, yeah. is a great book um, yeah. that a lot of people are encountering. There are difficult parts in it, but to hear the voice of someone who is offering her perspective on what it means to be a Nigerian living in America, claiming this as home, um, can be really helpful to mm-hmm. those of us who have grown up in the country. Yeah. Um, and there's a number, there's a number of other ones. Um, you can read biographical, you can read, um, people of different religions. Um, mm-hmm. if that's something you want to understand better, if that's a border or a boundary that yeah. you're, you're willing to mm-hmm. be in conversation about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're interested in hearing people uh, who have experienced um, being undocumented, um, a website that I recommend is um, called Freedom for Immigrants. Mm-hmm. And they're actually based here in California. Um, mm-hmm. This is a number of women lawyers um, and ad, um, activists who yep. are doing really great work. 
Um, and they have a project where what they've done to help people who are um, in detention while they're waiting for their asylum case to be heard um, have created some art, written down their story, hmm. written a poem, um, got tried to get their story out, um, have invited their children to write about them. Mm. Right? We, we mm -hmm. forget that the people in detention right. have families yeah, yeah. Um, that they can't see. Um, so if you want to just go, people can go check that out and read. Experiencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true that, you know, even just opening ourselves up to listening to other people's stories is one way to begin to put off this pressure of, oh, well, I already know what I think about, you know, X, Y, Z issue. Um, if, as we listen and lean in and just even read stories without like, yeah, like you're saying, you don't have to necessarily go to the detention center or something as a first step, but to begin to make yourself aware of your own boundaries, the own your own borders. Um, even just to put language around them, I think is a wonderful first step. So thank you for that. I think we need some small, easy, actionable steps, especially now in a pandemic where it feels like everything can feel really overwhelming and, and tiresome. So I think that's, yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'd love to keep talking, but I do need to hear your laundry routine. But the reason I love to ask people's laundry routines, one is it helps just give everybody a little bit more of a human face who are writing books and thinking big ideas. But um, the second is, you know, I think it's important that we help kind of connect dots between, between all of the, the ideas and our actual lives. So mm -hmm. um, it's always fun to hear people's laundry routines and the way that it helps enforce their kind of own spiritual practices or not. <laughs> so Julia, tell us, what does your laundry routine look like? Yeah, I, you know, I have to give credit to my husband because um, he has a very clear routine. Mm -hmm. um, mine is ad hoc. Yeah. At best. Um, yeah. So my husband has a specific day and an order that he does things, yeah. sheets, towels, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, he would, might be more interesting to ask that question. Um, <laughs> That's like I my husband too. He's a lot more. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. So I have, you know, one laundry basket and yeah. in it goes everything dry. Yeah. My husband does throw wet things in his laundry oh, basket no. and I, no, no. <laughs> um, um, but I, yeah, I put everything in, um, and then when it seems like there's enough of a load to do of colors or whites, yeah, then I'll do it. Yeah. You're starting to run low. Then it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I hang it up and I dry the things that need to be dry, uh, air dry the things that need yeah. to be dried. I miss, I grew up where we could hang stuff outside mm -hmm. and it smells amazing. It does. It can, that smell of, you know, I don't, I don't put the chemicals in and the dryer right. sheets and the yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, but that smell of out of doors in my clothes, mm. I miss so mm. deeply. Um, you hang it out here in Ventura and you get all the car pollution. <laughs> right. That or you're, that I live in the city. Right. Or a ton of sun bleaching from just, also, right, you know, the level right. of sun that we get. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, clothes connect us to where we came from, too. They do, yeah. Yeah, and those childhood smells are what feels right on you, mm -hmm. how your body, you know, yeah. feels. Is, 
It's also holy. Yeah, it is. It is. I love that you have that question. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's fun. It's, it's always fun to get a little bit of a just, hey, what are, who are you like as a person? It's really fun. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Julia. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for being here. It's a delight. And thank you for your podcasting. There's You're welcome. wonderful messages going out. Thank you. I hope you'll click on over to the show notes. If you're curious to hear more from Julia Lambert Fogg, you can get a copy of her book, Finding Jesus at the Border. I want to leave you with one small step to take with us this week. If 2020 and now 2021 has shown us anything, it has shown us our frailty, the ways in which though we have tried to be unified, we feel like we're falling apart societally at the seams. And so I'm going to give you one small step, and that is simply to wave, to wave to our neighbors, to see someone maybe that has a different color skin than you or comes from a different class than you, and to choose to move forward in friendship as small and as simple as a wave. I think it's a great first step. I think often we get overwhelmed with the state of the world and we don't do anything or we feel if we're not volunteering at a border, then somehow we're totally missing what God has for us. A wave is a great first step. Go to that website, Freedom for Immigrants. Read some stories. Begin to educate yourself on someone else's story. Stories actually open up our hearts and our imaginations towards other people. I think a lot of times when we are so quick to shut down the violence and the mayhem that's going in our world, it's because we're not actually curious about someone else's story. So practice curiosity in a small way by going to the Freedom for Immigrants site, reading Julia Lambert Fogg's book, or even asking someone who looks different from you, hey, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. And friends, I hope this week as so many things in the news continue to tumble at us that you would take time to breathe, to slow down, to pray, to lament with people groups who are the subject of hate crimes in America so that we would begin to look different, that we would not be consumed with hate and fear, but instead we would actually provide hope. That's my hope for us. And so as you move forward, friends, remember all these big things matter, but so does the laundry.
You can find those links directly in the show notes because friends, these big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.